Good morning. I'm Sana, and you're listening to Let's Grab Coffee on WYXR 91.7 FM. Every Monday morning, I'm joined by experts from across the country who are investigating our most pressing social issues and common curiosities. Over the next hour, you'll learn about their inspirations, motivations, and of course, what they know about the world around us. So grab that cup of coffee and get ready for a fun and insightful conversation. More than 42 million Americans are currently infected with HPV types that cause disease. HPV is the human papilloma virus, and it causes six kinds of cancer in women and men. HPV infections are very common, and in fact, nearly everyone will get HPV at some point in their lives. Each year, about 13 million Americans, including teenagers, become infected. Now, the good news is there is an HPV vaccination, and it prevents 90% of those six kinds of cancer. To talk more about the importance of HPV vaccination, this morning, I'm joined by Dr. Heather Brandt. Dr. Brandt is a member of the St. Jude faculty and the director of the HPV Cancer Prevention Program and co-associate director for outreach for St. Jude Comprehensive Cancer Center. She received her PhD from the University of South Carolina and has been recognized for her contributions to public health. Welcome, Dr. Brandt, and thank you so much for joining us this morning. Thank you for having me. Good morning, everyone. Yes, I am so excited to have you here with us this morning. And as I mentioned to you earlier, you know, I feel very strongly about HPV vaccination, even though I'm not exactly sure why I feel so strongly about it, since I don't know that much about HPV. And so that's why I'm glad that you are here to answer these questions. And I'm sure other folks, too, are like, okay, what is HPV? Why should I be getting, you know, the young people in my life vaccinated? Should I? as an adult be getting vaccinated? Um, You know, what's going on? So I'm so glad that you are here. Um, So I just want to kind of start out just kind of very basic. Okay, what is HPV? Sure. So HPV stands for human papillomavirus. And HPV is a very, very common virus that affects everyone, both women and men. And it can cause six types of cancer, including cervical, vaginal, vulvar, anal, penile, and oral and throat cancers. Mm -hmm. And as you shared in your intro, according to the CDC, about one out of every four people is currently infected with this virus. And in some people, this virus does not cause problems, but it does cause problems in others. And those problems come in the form of precancers, cancers, and other forms of HPV diseases. And oftentimes we focus in on the cancers, which are the most serious. And there are about 36,000 cases of HPV cancers in the United States each year. And globally, that number is 630,000 cases. Uh, And when we look at precancers in the United States, there are about 200,000 plus precancers of the cervix. And those are in women, whereas HPV cancers are in everyone, men and women. And we know that other HPV diseases, when we factor it in, it's nearly a half to to three quarters of a million people each year who are experiencing an outcome as a result of HPV. So we focus on the cancer prevention potential of HPV vaccination. 
-hmm. So in 2006, a vaccination was licensed by the Food and Drug Administration in the United States and was then recommended by the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. And that vaccination, as you said, prevents 90% of those HPV cancers and precancers. So while HPV is linked to all of these different types of diseases, the most serious of those being cancers, we have a safe and effective vaccination that works to protect kids from HPV cancers that they can get when they're older. Wow. Okay. So my mind is already blown and see now I know why I feel so strongly about the HPV vaccination, even though I don't, I previously didn't know much about it. I mean, I'm blown away by that stat that you said that one out of four infected with HPV. And I love that we're having this conversation because HPV is very common. And I think when we're, you know, thinking about any type of kind of disease or infection, there can be a lot of stigma around it, which stops the conversation from even happening. And so, you know, one thing that I think is important is to understand that it is very common. HPV is common, um, but that we have some precautions that we can take to protect ourselves from these, from the cancers that can potentially happen because of HPV. And so I think that is really good news. Now, you mentioned that in 2006, that's when this HPV vaccination was approved. But I'm wondering um, how common is it for folks to actually get vaccinated? So that's a great question. So the HPV vaccine has been available and routinely recommended since 2006. So that's for over 16 years now, the vaccine has been available. And unfortunately, in the United States, our uptake or um, who gets the vaccine falls well below the healthy people 2030 goal of 80%. Mm -hmm. So for those who aren't familiar, the Federal Department of Health and Human Services works with other public health agencies to develop goals for our nation. And those are called the healthy people goals. And they update these every 10 years. And the healthy people 2030 goal is 80% of uh, young people being fully vaccinated against HPV. And the most recent data that we have uh, for HPV vaccination, when we look at 13 to 17 year olds, uh, we know that about 59% nationally are up to date with HPV vaccination. That means they've had either two doses which is the recommendation before you turn 15 or three doses, which is the recommendation thereafter. And I'll go back to the recommendation here in just a minute. Mm -hmm. But what's important to know is that coverage falls well short of that 80% national goal. And, you know, that doesn't tell the whole story. For mm -hmm. example, there are huge disparities by region in the United States. The southeastern United States has among the lowest coverage for HPV vaccination. Mississippi has 32% of, uh, of 13 to 17 year olds vaccinated compared to 59% nationally. That's almost half, right? Uh, and then when you dig even deeper into regional differences like the Southeast and also the Intermountain West, 
has challenges with HPV vaccination. You see in these same areas where HPV vaccination coverage is the lowest, that the burden of HPV cancers is the highest. Mm -hmm. So these are the places where vaccination could really have the most impact because there are the most numbers of HPV cancers in these areas. So let me take a step back and go to the, the recommendations because I think those are important to uh, mention in, in this point. Yes. So again, uh, routine vaccination at age 11 or 12 has been recommended by the CDC for several years. And there's been updated guidance over time as research studies continue and we learn more. So we now know that it's important to really make sure that nine to 12 year olds are fully vaccinated before their 13th birthday to make sure that they have the best and most protection. Now, not everybody is going to be vaccinated in that nine to 12 group. That's our goal. We really want to make sure that kids are protected before their 13th birthday. But the routine recommendation is for nine to 26 year olds, but this is a preventive vaccine. So when we start to think about when it's going to work best, it's going to work best before children would be exposed to HPV and HPV is transmitted through skin to skin intimate contact. And so as a normal part of child growth and development, children are exploring and engaging in those types of behaviors, oftentimes with each other. And we hope, of course, those are consensual exchanges and uh, all of those good, healthy types of exchanges. Um, we know that doesn't always happen, but in this case, we want to make sure kids are protected before they're in a situation like that. Um, so that's why the 9 to 12 year old. We also know that that group has a particularly robust immune response to HPV vaccination. And so that's also an important thing to acknowledge and note. And then for some people in that 13 to 26 year old age range, there's still some protection to be mm -hmm. afforded. And so if you haven't been vaccinated and you're in that age group, still go get vaccinated as soon as you can. And the CDC recommendation also includes a recommendation for 27 to 45 year olds. Some people in that age group may benefit from vaccination and should talk to their healthcare provider. And let me give you an example of someone who may benefit. Okay. So someone who may benefit is perhaps a person who had been married or in a, in a um, monogamous, stable relationship with someone for many, many years, and that relationship came to an end. And maybe that relationship started in the late teen years and, and went into the 30s, for example, and then they decide they no longer want to continue that relationship before they start dating or seeing or other people engaging in a new relationship, because of that long period of time that they were with the same person, they, they may be a candidate to get vaccinated to help protect them. And all of that to say that when we look at the data, HPV is very common. The majority of 15 to 24 year olds in the United States are going to have an HPV infection at some time. 
Mm-hmm. And so when we think about this all in, in making our decisions about vaccinations, we really want parents and caregivers, those who make vaccination decisions in a family, to make sure their children at those nine to 12 year old ages are protected by their 13th birthday. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I think that's so key. I mean, you brought up a couple of points because I think for folks who are making these vaccine decisions for the young people in their lives, I think one goal is to protect those young people and prepare (laughs) them, you know, for their life um, as adults. Right. And so this is one other measure that they can take to make sure they're preparing, but also protecting the young people in their lives. And just to make sure I had this correct, it's two doses before if you're under 13 and then three if you're over is that correct so the ages I'm talking about don't line up perfectly okay so let me let me just clarify um thanks for asking that so uh we want children to be vaccinated by their 13th birthday that's the first point the second point is that uh if they're vaccinated at age nine to 14, it's only two doses. If they're vaccinated 15 to 45, it's three doses. Mm -hmm. It also may be three doses regardless of age if someone has uh, some challenges with their immune system, which is called immunocompromised. Mm -hmm. Three doses may be recommended because their immune system needs a little extra push to develop protection against, um, against those different types of HPV. Mm -hmm. And one other thing that I just want clarification on, because I think people often think about HPV and impacts on women, um, or girls, but the HPV vaccination is for both boys and girls or men and women. It is. And I think it's really important to point out that oral cancers in men have actually surpassed cervical cancers in women in terms of the most common HPV cancer. Mm -hmm. So part of that, uh, the origin of it's only for women is when the vaccination was first licensed and recommended in the United States, it was only for girls. And the message was it prevents cervical cancer. So this is where when you peel away the layers of the onion, you learn that from a scientific perspective, it had long been understood that these cancer-causing types of HPV are linked to a number of cancers, you know, not just cervical, but you have to have the data to be able in the United States to get that licensure. It just shows you how strict the process is and it hopefully can give somebody some confidence in what kind of data, results, evidence are really needed. So it took a long time for there to be enough evidence to be able to add uh, oral cancer prevention for you know with HPV vaccination, which was added in just the last couple of years, because uh, they had to continue to study and understand how uh, the vaccination really did work against precancers in in um, in oral cancers and such. 
Mm, okay. So I see. So that's why that kind of cervical cancer was kind of stuck in my mind as far as part of that messaging. Um, but I'm glad that you were able to clarify, right, the importance of the HPV vaccination for both men and women or boys and girls, but also thinking about the data and what we know about some of those outcomes in terms of unfortunately cancers that can arise from HPV. Now, speaking about some other kind of maybe confusing information, um, there might be some confusion about getting the HPV, HPV vaccination with other recommended vaccinations. And I'm thinking about, of course, COVID-19 since we are in this era. So is it okay to get uh, for children to get vaccinated against COVID-19 and HPV at the same time? Yes, it is. And that's actually referred to as co-administration. It just means that more than one vaccination is given at the same time. And this is really common for this age group. This age group has immune systems that are characterized as naive because they're younger. They haven't had to deal with as many germs or as many attacks on their immune system. Uh, older people have immune systems that are stubborn because they've seen it all and it takes a little <laughs> extra kick to get them to be able to um, prevent something. So in this case, uh, with HPV, HPV vaccination is often given at the same time as the vaccination for whooping cough, which is called Tdap um, or pertussis. That vaccination is actually required for entry into seventh grade in every state in the United States. And then another vaccination called, um, the brand name is called Menactra. It's called the meningococcal conjugate. It's a vaccination against meningitis is actually required actually required in uh, many states. It's not required here in Tennessee where we're talking today, but it's required in many other states as well. So it's very common for the adolescent to come in, get the Tdap, HPV cancer prevention vaccine and meningitis vaccine at the same time. Mm -hmm. It's also possible now to get COVID-19 vaccination and a seasonal influenza or flu vaccine at the same time. So all of that is possible. And this was a change because just like we want to happen, we want the studies and the research to continue Initially, when COVID-19 vaccines were rolled out, there was a no other vaccine 14 days before, no other vaccine 14 days after. And that was really to make sure that the safety of these COVID-19 vaccines were holding up as they did in the early trials and that they were working well. And then after several months, almost a year actually of study, it was realized that, okay, it's actually okay to get a vaccine, get, get a vaccine at the same time. So you can get your flu vaccine and your COVID-19 vaccine at the same time. And even in children, you can get a vaccine that you're maybe due for and the COVID-19 vaccine at the same time. But that was a change and that change happened in May of 2021. So it took several months after COVID-19 vaccinations were available. And so now for adolescents, there's actually uh, five vaccinations that are recommended. There's whooping cough, HPV cancer prevention, meningitis, seasonal flu, and COVID-19 vaccines now. Mm -hmm. 
And just to add a personal example, um, my niece, Abigail, missed her second dose of HPV vaccine because it was during the pandemic Mm -hmm. and there was no urgency to get her back into a doctor's office at that time because everybody was taking some precautions. And so when she became eligible, she was 12. And when she became eligible to receive a COVID-19 vaccine, her mother took her and she got her second dose of HPV and COVID-19 vaccine on the same day mm-hmm. without any issues. So um, I know that there have been um, several such examples, but my niece uh, is, is one who it worked for. And my sister was very grateful <laughs> to her mother was very grateful to have both of those taken care of at the same visit. Yes, absolutely. I love that we have all this data and science to show that these vaccines work, that it's okay to get them at the same time, which I think just makes it easier. All the scheduling that, you know, parents and guardians have to do already. One appointment, get it all taken care of, making sure um, that the young people in your lives are protected. And I think that's really wonderful to know that, hey, it's okay. You can get these vaccines. Um, at the same time. So I love that. Make it make it easier for everyone. Well, let's take a quick break. You're listening to Let's Grab Coffee on WYXR 91.7 FM. I'm Sanaa and I'm here with Dr. Heather Brandt, the director of the HPV Cancer Prevention Program. And we've been talking about the importance of HPV vaccination. And one thing that I wanted to ask you about is um, you know, we've heard a lot over the past couple of years about different types of vaccine hesitancy. And I know that the CDC has looked at reasons why um, parents are, you know, hesitant and they decide not to vaccinate their child for HPV. And I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about some reasons why or some maybe even common misconceptions that folks have. And hopefully we can, um, for our listeners, kind of debunk some of these myths and kind of make folks feel a little more comfortable. Um, with the HPV vaccination? Well, first, let me just say that I want to be clear that I think there's an important distinction between someone who expresses vaccination hesitancy and someone who is so-called anti-vaccination or opposes all vaccinations. Mm -hmm. Um, Some people are legitimately concerned about a specific vaccine and are looking for reliable information in order to make the best decision for themselves and their family. Mm -hmm. Uh, While others just seem to spread misinformation and fear. And so let's let's dig into some of those concerns that we know vaccination decision makers have, because again, they deserve to have information that they can trust and that's meaningful to them to make a decision. So vaccine acceptance really occurs on a continuum of levels ranging from vaccine confidence and acceptance. So it's like refusing all vaccines is on one end of a continuum and -hmm. accepting all vaccines on time or as recommended is on the other. And somewhere in the middle emerges hesitancy or reluctance or refusal to vaccinate in spite of availability and access to vaccines. So in simple terms, vaccination hesitancy leads to refusing some vaccines delaying some vaccines and accepting some vaccines. Mm -hmm. So let me just give a very concrete example. 
I only recently started getting the flu vaccine. Now the flu vaccine is recommended for everyone age six months and older mm-hmm. for everyone. Wow. <laughs> and so only in the last about 10 to 12 years have I been getting a flu vaccine? I wish I knew exactly, but about that long, I've mm. been getting a flu vaccine. And why? Well, I didn't really think I needed one. Why would I get a vaccine? So I technically was vaccine hesitant about a flu vaccine because I am indeed at risk for flu. Everyone <laughs> is at risk for flu, which is why if you're six months or older, it's recommended for you to get a flu vaccine. Mm -hmm. So that means I accepted every other vaccine that was recommended for me, except a flu vaccine. We all probably know people like that who haven't had a flu vaccine. So if we think about that continuum, they're not on the end of it where somebody's accepting everything on time is recommended. Right. So for those who experience hesitancy, we have to work to build confidence in vaccines. And so vaccination hesitancy threatens to reverse any progress that's been made over the years in tackling vaccine preventable diseases. In fact, the World Health Organization named vaccine hesitancy as one of the world's top 10 global health threats a couple of years ago right before the pandemic, right there on the top 10. What are the top 10 things that threaten global health? And there it is, vaccine hesitancy. So again, just to remind everybody, vaccine hesitancy refers to the acceptance or refusal of a vaccination despite its availability uh, to someone. And vaccination hesitancy can vary across time, place, and the type of the vaccine. And vaccination hesitancy is very much influenced by something characterized as the three C's, complacency, convenience, and confidence. Mm. And in the United States, it's most often all three, a combination of three, um, a matrix, an interwoven web of all of these sort of working and confounding each other. So vaccine confidence refers to the trust that parents, patients, or healthcare providers have in the recommended vaccinations, the schedule of the vaccinations, the providers who administer the vaccinations, and the processes that lead to licensure and the recommendation schedule, as I said. So trusted messengers are so important. Who delivers what messages matters. Healthcare providers historically are the most trustworthy source of vaccination information for people. Even for those who believe vaccines are unsafe and those who request maybe exemptions or more information, it's through healthcare providers. That's changed a little bit during the current pandemic in particular because of how COVID-19 vaccinations are being administered through mass vaccination clinics. Pharmacies have played a very important role in COVID-19 vaccination distribution. And so in this case, it's important for us to emphasize that access points, all access points, have the ability to empower and embolden confidence in vaccinations. 
being able to answer questions that are offered and offer additional resources. And vaccination hesitancy sometimes takes time. Back to HPV vaccination and starting at age nine. What a benefit it is for a parent to hear the message a couple of times before they maybe make the choice to have their child vaccinated. That's great because there's still plenty of time before the child's 13th birthday. So in that case, you know, especially for some parents who it might take a little while to um, have their questions answered. And and when I say parents, I want to be inclusive. I mean, caregivers and vaccination decision makers as well. It's important to be able to convey to those decision makers that corners are not cut in vaccination development, especially vaccinations for children, which which must undergo even more rigorous testing. And the evidence threshold is actually much higher. The development process is very rigorous. We also have to be able to acknowledge the risks and benefits in a language that can be understood by the intended audience. We can't be throwing around different technical terms, scientific terms. We have to figure out how to use plain language to answer people's questions. And we have to acknowledge that groups aren't monolithic. Just because someone may be put in this box doesn't mean that the exact same message is gonna work for the box they're in. It may take a range of different ways there's great heterogeneity among groups that have experienced um, the pandemic very differently and also have experienced mistrust, racism, discrimination, um, intentional exclusion, marginalization, and and much worse. Uh, It's easy to understand how that would be. We also have seen a shift during the pandemic to less trust in government particularly the CDC. Now that always existed (laughs) in some community. It's important to acknowledge, you know, that certainly always existed in some communities. Um, But I think it's been heightened during the pandemic and there's some evidence to show that. And so what we're most worried about are that concerns about COVID-19 vaccinations that have gone unanswered and people haven't been able to get information they understand, have their fears calmed. This is not a scientific illiteracy issue, as it might be called. There are so many emotions that go into these decisions. And so we have to recognize that throwing more information isn't probably going to fix anything. It's the right information from the right people at the right time. Mm. And so that doesn't look the same for everyone. So what we're very concerned about is conflation of concerns about COVID-19 vaccines to other routinely recommended vaccines. Mm -hmm. So separate from that conflation, during the pandemic, even keeping coverage rates for HPV vaccination at the exact same levels. So not even getting to that 80% healthy people 2030 goal, but just keeping it at that 59%. We know that there have been more than three and a half million missed doses of HPV vaccination since March 11th, 2020, when the pandemic was declared globally. So in about two years time, three and a half million doses. 
Think about how many kids have now missed out on that opportunity to prevent cancer. And we have a lot of work and ground to make up to get children back on track. Mm -hmm. We also know that there's the potential that vaccination decision makers, parents, caregivers may have a lot more questions, may want more information, more answers. Mm -hmm. And so we have to be ready for that. We have to be ready for them to want to understand, even though HPV, HPV vaccination is not the new kid on the block anymore. Right. (laughs) So, you know, for so long, many parents expressed the newness of HPV vaccination um, as a barrier. So we were talking a little bit about hesitancy, but I wanna mention a couple of other factors that come into play with HPV vaccination um, that results in those lower coverage rates. Mm -hmm. And so those would include just the age at which it's recommended. And in our first part of the segment, I mentioned a little bit about that earlier age and, yes. and how parents may not wanna think about that for a nine-year-old, for example. Um, we also know that a strong healthcare provider recommendation matters. Yeah. Parents and caregivers want to know that when the provider says this, I recommend this vaccination, that they can have some confidence in the vaccination and parents don't always feel like their healthcare provider has maybe recommended it strongly enough. And we know some healthcare providers have said they feel a little underprepared mm-hmm. to be able to discuss this vaccination with parents. There are still some financial coverage and access gaps that can't be ignored. Mm-hmm. This is particularly true in states that have not yet expanded Medicaid. And also in the first segment, I talked about how in the Southeastern United States, where eight of the 12 states that have not yet expanded Medicaid exist, these are the same states that are experiencing low HPV vaccination coverage and high HPV um, disease burden. We know that that matters. It gives more people the financial access that they need. That's not all of it, though, because this is a two or three dose vaccination series, and these children need someone to take them. Mm -hmm. And so there's transportation, there's the type of employment that someone has, and whether or not there's the flexibility that's needed to be able to get the child to and from appointments. Um, And then there's a lot of misinformation and just misperceptions overall that I think we have a lot of work to do to really make sure that the way in which we're messaging is powerful to build that confidence um, among parents too. Yes, absolutely. I think the confidence is so key. And as you mentioned, we know a lot of research around, you know, physician and patient trust and how that is so important um, in making these decisions, not just about HPV vaccinations, but other vaccinations or just other healthcare choices or health choices as well. Now, I know that one reason um, that caregivers or guardians might be hesitant or just have concerns are around side effects of the HPV vaccine. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering if you could speak to potential side effects or common side effects with this vaccine. It's a great question and an important one. Many decision makers want to know what are the side effects. So any vaccination could cause side effects. And for the most part, these are minor. Um, For example, a, a sore arm, 
uh, redness at the injection site of where the, the vaccination was given, maybe a low-grade fever even. Those are actually signs that our immune system is working uh, to help our body develop the necessary immunity so that when we come into contact with that disease, we have a protection that's going to say, I recognize you, not today, buddy, and <laughs> puts up the puts up the wall. And those mostly go away within a few days. Um, but side effects are different for every vaccine. And with HPV vaccination, they're very similar to other vaccinations in, in terms of pain, swelling, soreness, redness at the injection site and possibly uh, low-grade fever, for example, these tend to also be characterized as pretty rare. When this vaccination was rolled out, healthcare providers reported having these teenagers and preteens um, faint, which is called syncope. Mm -hmm. So after being given the vaccination, they might faint. Now, there are some people who say, these are teenagers. This is the drama that comes with teenagers. <laughs> uh, because when you think about it, you do get most of your vaccines before age five. And so little kids are just doing what their mom and dad, you know, are asking them to do, or the vaccine decision makers are asking them to do. But now they're teenagers. And now they're like, what? <laughs> I'm getting how many vaccinations? So they're much more aware of the, of the conditions. There's also some that say, no, it's a potentially a physiological response to the vaccination. Mm -hmm. As a result of that, the uh, FDA and the CDC, uh, the FDA made the maker of the vaccine change the prescribing information. And so there was a waiting period. So now after you get an HPV vaccine, you have to wait for 15 to 30 minutes just to make sure that you won't faint. And so that's an example of how when the vaccine came out, started to see this, okay, let's press pause and make sure that we have appropriate precautions for this. Mm -hmm. And actually, uh, those types of side effects that are reported have steadily decreased over the years for this vaccination. And that's largely because HPV vaccination is a very safe vaccine. It works very well and it provides long lasting protection against these six types of cancers and precancers and more. Mm -hmm. Yes. So thank you so much for talking about potential side effects. Um, because again, like I said, I know that is one reason um, that's reported you know, why folks may not want to get vaccinated themselves or for the young people in their lives. Um, lack of knowledge, I know, is another big barrier. And that's why we're having this conversation today. Um, even if, you know, maybe your provider hasn't mentioned this or hasn't strongly recommended, mm -hmm. I think this conversation really just bolsters the, the importance of the HPV vaccination. And I know that another big concern that folks often have is not believing that the vaccine is is necessary. And so for folks who might have just joined our conversation, I'd love if you just go ahead and, and reiterate why the HPV vaccine is so important and really necessary. So HPV is a, it's very common. I mean, it's so common that, you know, at any time, one in four people are going to have HPV. And in many people, it's not going to cause any problems. And it's, uh, you're going to be healthy enough to clear 
what's called clear the infection or the infection is going to be called transient. That just basically means that the infection hang around, hangs around in your body and then doesn't cause any problems. But that's just not the case in everyone. And each year, half a million to three quarters of a million people experience an HPV related disease, including uh, 36,000 HPV cancers each year. 200,000 plus precancers of the cervix and several other hundreds of thousands of cases of other HPV related diseases, all of which, most of which 90% of the cancers at least can be entirely prevented through HPV vaccination um, as recommended and on time. So this vaccination is very safe and it works really well to provide protection against these six types of cancer. So I think that it's, uh, we were talking earlier about how parents and caregivers do everything they can to keep their children safe and make decisions for them that will help offer them the best possible chance at achieving their dreams and goals and doing what they love in life. And this is a vaccination that can be given to children we recommend before the 13th birthday to complete the series for the best protection against these HPV cancers when kids are older. And I, I always say that I don't think parents and caregivers love their adolescents any less <laughs> um, than they do when they're younger. I'm sure they have their moments. I was once a teenager. <laughs> I'm sure you could get all sorts of stories from my parents too. Um, but when we look in the United States, about 97 to 98% of children are fully vaccinated before they go to kindergarten. Mm. So that's almost every kid in the United States is fully vaccinated. But then when we look at these vaccinations that we've been talking about, including HPV vaccination for, um, for children who are um, uh, at this age, we don't see that same uptake. And I, I mentioned earlier that the whooping cough or pertussis vaccination is required in every state. And so that one comes closest Mm -hmm. to achieving that same threshold. About 89% of 13 to 17 year olds have been vaccinated against whooping cough or pertussis and about 83% against meningitis. And then 59% for HPV vaccination among that, um, that age group. So there's a lot of room for improvement. And when we compare that by kindergarten vaccination rate to these older rates, I wish they were the same because it would mean that we're making sure that children are protected today against HPV cancers that they may develop as adults. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And, you know, the, the last reason that I know the CDC has found that, you know, parents, you know, say, well, I don't need to get my child vaccinated against HPV because they're not sexually active. And I think that can be a very sensitive topic for mm -hmm. parents and caregivers to think about with the young people, you know, in their lives. But the reality is, as you mentioned earlier, that young people are exploring their bodies, exploring sexuality, whether we mm -hmm. want to admit it <laughs> or not. Yeah. And that's a part of normal development. Um, so I'm wondering if you could speak to, to that kind of concern um, that folks might have this idea that, well, my child isn't sexually active, so they don't need to be vaccinated. 
um, get this HPV vaccination. Sure. But they may one day want to be <laughs> right. And so you can make a decision today. And, uh, many times we've heard this from the American Academy of Pediatricians and from pediatricians and other providers as well, that oftentimes when a parent or caregiver reacts in that way, they say, they'll say things like, we know that you are raising your child to follow your values mm-hmm. and we know that matters to you, but it's possible that your child's partner in the future may not have had the same experience and maybe is a wonderful person today and someone you don't want to deny your child from having a relationship with. And so you can protect your child right now so that you don't have to worry about when that happens at the time. So it's basically forecasting. It's saying that maybe someday your child may do that. We know not now, but you know, we hear you. We, we hear your values are important to you and what you, what you think is appropriate. Um, but maybe in the future that might happen. And so right now today, you have the chance to give your child the best protection. Um, against what could come from those behaviors in the future. So that's kind of the orientation, uh, the forecasting approach to time to saying, we realize at age nine, we don't want anything like that happening. You know, (laughs) we don't expect that. You don't want that, but it could happen in the future. And so today you can make that choice to help have your child protected. We also know that some families uh, will report hesitancy for HPV vaccination or even to discuss it out of concerns that doing so will inadvertently encourage sexual behavior or sexual promiscuity, mm-hmm. despite many, many studies to the contrary. Rates of um, being sexually active or engaging in sexual behaviors uh, among United States teenagers have really not changed much in the last 20 to 30 years. And if anything, they've actually decreased. Mm-hmm. Um, your NC, the age at what's called sexual debut has actually gone a, a little bit older in, the, in recent years, um, but it's still happening around this te- these teen years. And so that's why it's ideal to give the protection. And again, as I said, to be very clear, This phenomenon is called behavioral disinhibition. It's been around for a very long time. Women were once denied painkillers for childbirth when they requested them because it was thought to be that women would just have a million children if it didn't hurt. (laughs) Like that was, that's the mindset. Um, It's also a similar mindset to something that's more, you know, happening in the last 30, 40 years. That's needle exchange programs. So actually, if you provide someone who is an intravenous drug user with clean needles, that the spread of hepatitis and other bloodborne diseases actually decreases. It doesn't increase, it decreases. So this is that phenomenon called behavioral disinhibition. And so when applied to HPV vaccination, there is no correlation at all. It is, uh, and some parents have this idea that, well, got the first shot of HPV vaccination. So now my child's probably looking for someone to engage in behavior, you know, risky uh, skin to skin intimate behavior with. It's just simply doesn't pan out. 
but I don't want to devalidate the concern. As a parent, when you're looking to protect your child, you, you want to make sure that you have those questions answered. And so let me say, several studies have shown us that that, ju- that just doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. Thank you for sharing that, because I know that that can be a very big concern. Again, you're thinking about these young people and their innocence, and you don't want to think about them, you know, engaging in any type of sexual behavior because that's your baby. Um, But, you know, hey, in the future, they will probably want to engage in sexual behavior. And again, we want to make sure that we're setting them up for success. And I love that framing of understanding that, hey, this is something you can do now that will really help ensure their safety in the future. Um, I mean, I think it's, you know, really, it's kind of mind blowing to know that the HPV vaccination um, prevents 90% of six types of cancers. And it's like, wow, if you can take that precaution, I mean, definitely that's something to think about, right? And maybe even continue talking about with a healthcare provider if you need you know, additional information. Um, and so I, I'm just so glad that we're able to have this conversation this morning. Well, let's take another break. You're listening to Let's Grab Coffee on WYXR 91.7 FM. Hi, I'm Sanaa, and I'm here with Dr. Heather Brandt, who is the director of the HPV Cancer Prevention Program. And of course, we've been talking a lot about HPV, about the vaccination, um, talking about some of the the concerns that folks have when they're thinking about um, getting the young people in their lives vaccinated. And this has been such a great conversation. I'm learning so much um, about HPV, and now I can be even more educated when I talk to people about why it's so important. And something that we have mentioned throughout, and I just think it bears repeating, is the are the benefits of the HPV vaccine. And so again, could you just share what those benefits are? Sure. So HPV vaccination is cancer prevention. That's the easiest way to sum it up. So HPV vaccination is ideally given to, uh, to someone between the ages of nine and 12 and completion of the two-dose series by their 13th birthday to give them the most protection because HPV is linked to six types of cancers and precancers, as well as other HPV-related diseases. So we are very much uh, trying to increase awareness build confidence and promote HPV vaccination to vaccine decision makers like parents and caregivers. We also know that not everyone may have had the chance to get vaccinated by their 13th birthday. Good news, you can still get vaccinated too and can still benefit from the protection that's offered. Uh, That is for 13 to 26 year olds. The CDC routine recommendation is for nine to 26. And then for people who are age 27 to 45, some of you may also benefit from HPV vaccination. And we encourage you to talk to your healthcare provider to find out if HPV vaccination is right for you. 
Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Now, I know that because of the COVID-19 pandemic, we've seen a decline in a variety of different healthcare preventative services for young folks and, you know, um, older folks as well. And I know you mentioned earlier that we have this Healthy People 2030 goal of 80% vaccination, thinking about the HPV vaccine. Uh, we're not quite there yet, 59% nationally and even lower in our southeastern region. And so I'm wondering what are some ways that we can regain ground as we're thinking about, you know, protecting the young people in our lives? Sure. So something that I study and have studied for several years is figuring out how we get what we know works. So in this case, HPV vaccination into the hands of those who can benefit the most. And so this, uh, This type of research is called implementation science, and it's really understanding how we get these programs, policies, practices uh, routinized so that everyone can benefit. And HPV vaccination has has, uh, been less than optimal in terms of the coverage. Uh, We're just getting to the top of that bell curve Mm. when we think about the early adopters to the laggards, for example. And so we need to use what we know works. And there are things that we know work. And awareness building is often uh, thought to be uh, non-actionable. And so what we're trying to do is make sure that people are aware, have the information that they need, and that that serves as a catalyst for them to act. Mm. And so if people are going to act, we also have to make sure that they can act. So it's not just, uh, you know, I I think an individual's behavior is based on uh, what they can, how they can act, right? Behavior is a function of a person in their environment. And Mm -hmm. so we have to make sure that getting vaccinated against HPV is the default option, that we've made it normal that we have shifted social norms into that way. And we can do that through awareness by combating myths and disinformation and providing accurate information as one initial step. And so uh, at St. Jude in the HPV Cancer Prevention Program on March 4th, which was International HPV Awareness Day, we actually launched a new campaign called Path to a Bright Future that is focused on helping to raise public awareness about HPV vaccination as cancer prevention. So we want vaccine decision makers, so these parents and caregivers trying to get children vaccinated by their 13th birthday, We want them to know that today they have the opportunity with this moment of prevention to have a lifetime of protection for their children. And so we're very much encouraging that. We also um, support other organizations' efforts to raise awareness and build confidence. So that's one strategy. We also have to think about how, uh, where most people get their vaccinations, and that is at a healthcare provider's office. For HPV vaccination, it's a pediatrician's office. Mm -hmm. So we want to make sure as we think about the effects of the pandemic, how can we help them use reminder recalls? They likely have a number of patients 
who haven't been seen for a well child visit, time to get them back in the office, time to get them back on track with their routine vaccination schedule. And that includes HPV vaccination. How can we make sure that providers are able to offer a strong recommendation? Mm -hmm. Today, your child is due for three vaccinations, one against whooping cough, one against HPV cancers, and one against meningitis. Do you have any questions? Mm -hmm. um, these, I highly recommend these vaccinations. The CDC recommends these, whatever is most appropriate for that encounter. That's called a presumptive or an announcement approach. And uh, researchers have shown that that type of a recommendation is 10 times more effective. So how can we make sure providers are using that? So that's one. Um, a third one is thinking about structural barriers that exist. So while most children are being vaccinated in a pediatrician's office, some won't have that luxury. Prevention is often a luxury. I mean, let's be real. Let's be real right now. We are all in the same storm, this global pandemic, but we are in very different boats. Mm -hmm. These children whose parents are frontline essential workers who have, I mean, prevention is a luxury in yeah. many cases. So how can we make it easy for them to access HPV vaccination? So let's think about mobile units, pharmacies, dental practices. Um, we want all of those to link back to a medical home for the child because we know how important it is for a healthcare provider to lay eyes on a child and make sure the child is um, growing and developing as would be ideal for that child. Um, so let's figure out how to make that easy. So if mom, dad, grandma, another caregiver can't get the child to these appointments, how can we make it easy for them to access those? So we have to think about what those structural barriers look like and address those as well. Mm -hmm. um, so those are just three sort of things that work uh, that, well, actually four, if we count that second one as two different strategies within a clinical setting um, to help us get back on track. Um, mm -hmm. We know providers have been doing everything they can to make their environment safe, and we do see more of a return to HPV vaccination and turn to return to um, well child visits, but we just haven't seen that translate into HPV vaccination, rather, is how I should say that. Mm -hmm. um, and that's somewhat concerning. We need to reprioritize HPV cancer prevention at every encounter. Uh, where HPV vaccination could be administered so we can get children back on track so that, um, and again, there also, there also was a study published recently that said it's likely to take 10 years to oh, get wow. back on track. Wow. 10 years. That's a really <laughs> long time. It's a really long time. That's, uh, the study showed that over the next several years, that could translate to 100,000 plus pre-cancers and cancers because of the missed vaccinations. And mm -hmm. every time I say one of these numbers, that's a person, yeah. uh, you know, that's a person who is loved and whose life matters. And we want to make sure that we're protecting as many of those people as we can. And HPV vaccination is one option 
for parents to choose to have their children protected today against HPV cancers that they may develop in the future. Yes, absolutely. Well, Dr. Brent, it has been such a pleasure to have you here with us this morning. I've learned so much. I know our listeners have learned so much. So thank you so much for being here. Well, thank you. And remember, get vaccinated if you're in the age range, have your children vaccinated if they're in the age range, encourage others to get vaccinated to help normalize HPV vaccination as cancer prevention and share the facts. HPV vaccination is safe. It works really well and it provides long lasting protection. Thank you again to Dr. Heather Brandt for sharing so much great information about the HPV vaccine and even walking through some of the reasons why folks might be hesitant or have questions about the vaccine. So I think that having this awareness and having knowledge is definitely power as we're thinking about a vaccine that can really prevent cancers in the future. And I think that's such great news. So again, thank you to Dr. Brandt for being here with us this morning. Um, For today's positive note, I just want to remind you that success is not final, failure is not fatal, it is the courage to continue that counts. This has been Let's Grab Coffee on WYXR 91.7 FM. I'm Sanaa and I can't wait to have you back here with us next Monday morning.